Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. It's a little weird now. It's a little shocking. We are entering the post-Stelter era at CNN. Is Brian that titanic a figure? Well, almost none of us are so important that we define the places where we work. But Mr. Stelter, for us, defined the CNN approach to the media bias wars in the Trump era. And the Trump era at CNN clearly hasn't stopped yet. You might have thought that would stop when he left office. Donald Trump thinks he's still the real president. And CNN reports like they agree. I did this yesterday. I was looking at the first hour of New Day uh, from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. And it seemed to all be about Trump. Trump and Mar-a-Lago. Trump and everything else. Trump, oh, the... the, the, the uh, the financial chief financial officer for the Trump organization is going to plead guilty to something. Uh, and so I just played this game. I'm going to go in to the closed captioning search and type in the word Trump. 34 was the number it gave me. Now, obviously, if you mention Trump twice in a sentence, that's two Trumps. But I'm just saying it gives you a sense of how much Trump was in the first hour of New Day. Then you put in the word Biden. Zero. Biden didn't come up in the first hour of New Day. You know, and that I think is the way, you know, they would say, oh, he's on vacation. What? You don't do stories when the president's on vacation. (laughs) They would when Trump went on vacation. You know, it's, you know, what that means is, the Biden White House press staff that we take all our instructions from are off for the week, so they aren't giving us tips about what they want us to do. So, look, uh, you know, I feel a little sad for Brian. I, you know, uh, it, it's embarrassing to be removed, to have your show canceled. It's a little sad. You know, I suppose it's almost better that they dismissed him and canceled his show. As opposed to, now we're going to bring on some other schmo to do your show. Uh, But clearly that show became, I guess, the toxic branding that they don't want at CNN anymore. We want to look more mainstream, less opinionated. Well, they're not doing that. You know, Chris Licht came in early in the summer or in May. The tone hasn't changed we're not sitting here going, wow, CNN sounded more conservative or centrist today. There's just not a lot of that. But anyway, I yeah, I feel I feel a little bit for Brian. I'm sure he, he's made a lot of money. I'm sure he's got a big severance check. So don't feel that bad. And I'm sure he will land on his feet. I, I have no doubt. He was such a hero to the to the anti-Trumpers. They'll clearly find something for him. But, you know, I've known Mr. Bryan for a long time. Back when he was a college student at Towson University, just north of Baltimore, he was working on a blog called TV Newser. That still exists. Back then it was on what they called the Media Bistro menu of websites. Uh, a couple of years ago that became part of Ad Week. 
advertising week. Um, so Brian would call me up here for stories he was working on. And we were friendly enough. I remember sending him video of one of his early TV appearances. I think it was some seminar on C-SPAN that he appeared at. Um, you know, back then he came across as just a college-age news junkie. We like news junkies here. That's what we are. We're news junkies. No, I thought you were news busters. Well, you got to be a junkie to sit through all this news, even if you don't like the tone of it. You know, we're the kind of nerds who can tell you, you know, especially us older nerds. Oh, now tell us who was the anchor man of all the all the different newscasts in the 1970s, right? Or talk about John Chancellor's era at NBC. That's a news junkie. So Stelter would call up and ask news junkie questions. He didn't call me and say, do you hate democracy? What is wrong with you? So right after he comes out of Towson, boom, hired by the New York Times. Now this is shows you he's an ambitious kid. Uh, he did a lot of interviewing media figures uh, in New York City. And so he could go to them and say, hey, I already have these connections. I talked to Brian Williams for fun. And so they hired him, boom, right out of Towson University. And then a few years later, boom, he gets hired at CNN, and they give him this show, Reliable Sources, at the tender age of 28. And people forget this now. They're all like, this morning I was talking to somebody, and they were like, he's only 36? Now, I don't know if that means he looks like he's 50. <laughs> I don't know. It just means, look, he's been around for a while. You know, he was on the show for nine years. Uh, so they think, well, clearly, who, who gives a national TV show to a kid who's not 30 yet. Well, good for him. But, you know, it's what he made of it. Um, you know, he made of it. I mean, Reliable Sources has always been a show that's been pretty much a liberal media supporting show. You know, I mentioned Bernard Kalb when he hosted the show. Um, Dan Rather made the mistake of appearing at a Democratic fundraiser in Travis County, Texas. And Bernard Kalb was like, I'm sure this won't stop Dan from being objective. Oh, yes, Dan Rather, always objective. Well, this is, so reliable sources, you know, I call it the reliably liberal, reliable sources, and that, it always kind of has been. It's just less reliably liberal back then. I mean, they were actually considering several points of view. We used to get sound bites on the reliable sources show. They'd come out and tape us for sound bites. We weren't guests a lot. Uh, but when Stelter came along, uh, I did get in in October 2016 with weeks to go in the presidential race. I made an appearance on Reliable Sources. Went downtown, hung out in the green room. The other guest in New York was John Avalon, who back then was still uh, the big editor at the Daily Beast. Also very reliably liberal publication. Even back then, Avalon said to me that I needed a reality check from him. Oh, Mr. Reality Check. We had a feisty back and forth about a New York Times article touting tiny fragments of Trump's taxes. Clearly, the Times was trying to goad 
uh, Trump to release his taxes. The video at CNN.com has this caption to this day. I just love it. Quote, Newsbusters executive editor Tim Graham blasts the New York Times story on Trump's taxes as partisan spin. In quotes. <gasps> Graham says partisan spin from the New York Times? It continues. While Daily Beast editor-in-chief John Avlon says the story is necessary and nonpartisan. <laughs> oh yes, the New York Times. It's nonpartisan. Somehow, the caption doesn't include my description of the Times as akin to flesh-eating zombies. Listen. Tim, you're a frequent critic of the New York Times. Do you see something in this story that feels wrong, that feels off base? Well, once again, we have all kinds of anonymous sources. This story, to just call it plain reporting is wrong. What, what uh, do you mean by anonymous sources? They, they published the, the documents from 1995 in the newspaper. They have the anonymous tax expert there on the front page of the paper today say he benefited from his vast destruction like he was Hurricane Donald. This paper has all the restraint of a pack of flesh-eating zombies. The idea that anyone would take them seriously when they've announced on the front page that their job is to take him down, when they've done repeated editorials about how he needs to be defeated. Today, it's all about how the Latinos The editorial need to come. page is yeah. separate from the newsroom, though. I mean, having worked there in the past, the editorial page is produced way upstairs. The okay. newsroom is downstairs. There are differences between them. Stelter also asked me why I had a problem with anonymous sources at the Times, as if I suggested all anonymous sources were illegitimate. No, I said you use anonymous sources in a story where you can't really get the story in another way, but that anonymous sources are often used to be like the anonymous source says Trump threw the cheeseburger at the TV, or the anonymous source said Trump is a dangerously unhinged wacko. There's so much of that. You know, they use anonymous sources to trash conservatives. Now, of course, you'd use your anonymous sources to say, Senior administration officials say, no, Biden's not losing his mind. <laughs> you know, they would use anonymous sources to defend Biden, and they used anonymous sources to unload vicious things on Trump. So, you know, what I said to him was, when your newspaper announces on the front page that their role in the world is, we must destroy Donald Trump like you're defusing a nuclear bomb, maybe I'm not going to trust you when you start using anonymous sources. Now, what actually happened, Jim Rutenberg, who was a media reporter at the Times, wrote a front page column, a column on the front page, which explored the media's problem in 2016. What do you do, Rutenberg said, when the candidate is a racist and a sexist taking the country in the wrong direction? You can't possibly be both sidesy. You can't be objective. The problem is too serious. The country's in too much danger. Yeah, so what he concluded was, Rutenberg said they needed to have a Murrow moment, as in Edward R. Murrow. Yes, when you think of pompous jerks uh, who feel very self-righteous about being biased. You go to Edward R. Murrow. This is Edward R. Murrow courageously battling Joe McCarthy. 
this is what they're thinking of. It doesn't matter that Joe McCarthy was right about the, the federal government being full of Soviet agents. They're still pretending that's not true. They always go back to, oh, Joe McCarthy didn't have the decency to see that there weren't communists in the government. No, there were. Might have been sloppy about identifying who it was. But they were there. Alger Hiss. So Rutenberg said, to do less than this moral moment would be, quote, an abdication of political journalism's most solemn duty to ferret out what the candidates will be like in the most powerful office in the world. Yeah, this is claptrap. Does anybody remember the New York Times ferreting out the way the Democrats would be in office? We here at the New York Times in 1992 are going to explore whether or not Bill Clinton screws a bunch of government employees. Jennifer Flowers came out in 92. Was the New York Times interested in that? I don't think so. Did they do the Paula Jones story in 1992? No. They didn't. So in, 19, uh, in 2019, Stelter and I met at a panel discussion at the Paley Center for Media in Manhattan. That was fun. Took a nice little Amtrak trip. Stelter and I were cordial before the show. It was a panel with six guests and a moderator. The panel was supported with a grant from former Disney, uh, Disney executive Jim Jamiro who's also friendly to us. He's donated to the MRC. He basically told Paley, we want this Graham kid on the panel. So it was a three conservative, three liberal panel. But I was enjoying the sparring match with Brian when the cameras went on. He was all, we hate Trump because of the lies, Tim. The lies. Journalism's important. Journalism's important enough that we need to hold it accountable. And one of the reasons the media research, why we have media watchdog groups yeah. is, mm -hmm. is we have these pompous slogans about democracy dies in darkness and the truth is more important than ever. Well, why is it more than ever now? Well, because you don't like the guy who got elected. Because he's lying more, Tim. Tim, it's about the lies. The big story oh, so is the, the lies. Oh, so the Clintons never lied. Well, Tim, that hang, we're on. Trying to say? hang on. Hang on. He had eight months of today. lying about Monica Lewinsky. And he was that crushed was okay. by the media. Yeah. Bill Clinton was destroyed by the no, press No, he wasn't. Oh, my God. Brian. No, Let's he not wasn't. talk about 20 years ago. You'd have to he lies go back every and read day, what we Tim, wrote. And I understand that when we cover the lies, it does make the press seem adversarial. And I understand it that for many voters, it makes us seem biased. For us not to acknowledge the deception and deceit and the propaganda coming from the White House would be a failure of journalism. And that's the tension that we're in, and that's what's a struggle for newsrooms right now, how to cover Trump uh -huh. fairly without sounding biased. You're yeah. not. It's I not fair. Yeah. My coworkers were like, yep, mention lying, and Tim's going to go on a bender about the Clintons. Mrs. Graham would say, oh, here he goes again on the bender about the Clintons. Well... If you don't like lying, how did the Clintons somehow become the center of the universe and all these people who now propagate these pompous slogans about the truth being more important now than ever, New York Times? When Flowers came forward and said, I had a long affair with Governor Clinton, these people were all like, we don't care. You people need to grow up about sex. We're not following up to see if this is true. This is a terrible moment. Get out of people's underwear. Well, I mean, I should get off this bender now before I start talking about how Matt Lauer then was insisting to Hillary Clinton, 
The Lewinsky story could be the biggest lie ever. Yes, Matt Lauer. The adulterer with the door-locking button under his desk to trap the help. Squeezy, squeezy. <laughs> yes, they cared so much about whether the Clintons were lying. They got to lie for eight months about Monica. All right, so look, this is, this is we go around and we go around. And I've never been vicious toward Brian, but I think when you look at his work product, yes, he clearly defined this whole pompous idea that, that the media only cared about the facts. They were the reality-based press. You know, they cared about the lies. Well, they never, about everybody's lies or just that guy's? Now, AP media reporter David Botter had a little story that rounded up the reaction to the Stelter dismissal. I would have liked to be in on this, this article. Botter calls me from time to time. This would have been a fun one. Uh, it, he quoted from Mark Levin, who tweeted, Good riddance, Stelter! You and your ilk have done grave damage to a free press! I still, I'm still really happy. We came up after an MRC gala, and I was standing around with Whitlock and Kyle Drennan and Matthew Ballant at the time. And Levin, you know, who could have just walked right past me, goes, Oh, look! It's Timmy Graham and his crew! <laughs> it's like, thank you. Thank you for coming. Well, that was kind of fun. So then a Botter also quoted from Dan Frumkin. Where is Frumkin? Where is Frumkin? Here I am. I always think of that when I see him. Anyway, Frumkin's this guy. He used to be at the Washington Post throwing bombs during the Bush years. But he's merely described by AP as a liberal media critic and head of the Press Watch website, tweeted this was a terrible move by CNN, said Frumkin. Stelter was the symbol of a media establishment willing to question itself. He was a flawed but essential voice in the national media. His firing is a win for all the wrong people. Oh yes, <laughs> there's a slogan, Newsbusters, winning for all the wrong people. Now, I would never say we caused this firing. These people don't really care what we think, or they do consider us the wrong people to consult on personnel matters. But, look, for the last 35 years, the Media Research Center has played a role in identifying who are the most obnoxious liberal journalists on television and in print. And what are the most obnoxious things that they say? We're good at that. They say obnoxious things. We print them sometimes. We even round them up for media history. Like our man Bill D'Agostino, here's a little bit of uh, Stelter's history. To understand why so many Republicans have abandoned democracy, you have to hear the poisonous propaganda. What do folks in the reality-based, reality-based, reality-based media do in the coming weeks? Biden secret emails. This is a classic example of the right-wing media machine. When we're not able to say that Hunter Biden's laptop is a story worth pursuing. You say we're not allowed, we're not able. Between... Who's the people stopping the conversation? Who are they? Is it possible to make Fox News viewers change their minds about key issues just by having them change the channel. Entire media companies essentially exist to tear down Joe Biden. Can we have an honest conversation about gas prices? Or has the coverage been out of proportion? 
out of step with the American public. Too much of the U.S. media chatter is distorted to the point of being dishonest. Dana Milbank, here's his column for The Post this weekend, and he says he has data to show that the press has turned more negative against Biden than the press was against Trump. What do you think about that? Does it ring true to you? Trump might have committed treason. What does Putin have on Trump? The US president possibly working for the Russians. Is President Trump a racist? Is the Trump presidency a criminal presidency? Trump and some of his allies are promoting a hate movement against the American press. Why does Sarah Sanders still have a job? Is it time for newsrooms to think of new ways to convey Trump's lack of credibility? Yeah, Stelter even wrote a book about Fox called Hoax. Yes, I think it was Jim Treacher who joked, like, now who at CNN is going to tell us constantly what's on Fox News? As if we weren't watching Fox News. Uh, but, you know, th this was one of his obviously main targets was Fox News. And they didn't just critique Fox News the way we critique CNN. Stelter and Darcy and his ilk were always running around basically saying that Fox should be we need to deprogram people from Fox. We need to remove Fox from cable systems. Basically, that Fox needed to have all the reach that One American News has right now. That was their goal for Fox. And then they said, we are the ones that save democracy from darkness. But of course, the liberal media are all like this. Darkness equals conservatism. Democracy needs to be uh, you know, enriched by banning conservatism. Kind of a funny way to define it, don't you think? About a year ago, on June 27, 2021, Stelter announced that he and his staff had courageously watched a pile of Sean Hannity shows. Oh, they were monitoring the media like us. So he was really upset. It's the same way the liberals got upset about Gingrich. Gingrich used words that were nasty about Democrats. Yeah, Stelter was uh, upset with Hannity. He used words like socialist. Well, that's supposed to be a good word, isn't it, to you people? He said socialist in a bad way. He said stalker, weak, failure, shameless, psychotic, indoctrination, urban hell holes. But look, in the same exact segment, what words did Stelter use? Poisonous, authoritarian, abusive, propaganda, big lie, filth. This is the goofy thing, is these people are like, you can't use nasty words. That's not what they mean. You can't use nasty words against us. We don't deserve them. We're the idealists. We are the dreamers of dreams. You can't say this about the Democrats. You can't call us socialists. And then they're over there going, you're all a bunch of Christo-fascist filth. <laughs> okay. No fact checkers will get involved in trying to decide are we Christo-fascist filth? Oh, Stelter didn't put those two words together, but Christo-fascist trending on Twitter. Ron DeSantis, Christo-fascist. Anyway, this is one of those things where you just want to say to Brian, did you ever reflect on the fact that you are using verbiage just as harsh as Sean? You don't get to lecture. You don't get to get on your high horse about objectivity when you're working at CNN. You certainly don't get on your facts first horse. That was ridiculous. That's a cartoon. We are facts first. No, you were opinions first. And everybody knew it. You knew it. Jeff Zucker was all like, everybody's going to start their show with a pompous editorial. Stelter did that after Zucker left. 
Yeah, it's just ridiculous to call them facts first. And, 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 but Stelter would do this. You know, he would literally say with a straight face, we're not anti-Trump. We're pro-truth. No, that is not a truthful sentence. You are anti-Trump. Anti-Trump defines you. You can pose as pro-truth, but there's a lot of stuff you said that was anti-Trump that was a bunch of bunk, like he's a Russian agent. When Kellyanne Conway referred to Brian's side of the aisle, he acted offended and said, I'm not on a side of the aisle. Now, does he really believe that junk? Is he really that naive? I don't think so. I just think that this is what's wrong. This is the central lie of the liberal media. This denial of who they are and what they are out to accomplish. They overtly seek to destroy conservatives and Republicans. And then they try to say, we're not on a side. Nobody buys that. But that's what they're trying to do. We want to portray ourselves as objective as we destroy you. I'm, I'm not holding a knife as I hold a knife over your head. We're not anti-Trump. We are pro-truth. Well, what about the Clintons? <laughs> okay, okay, enough of that stuff. So, yes, Brian Stelter has a final show on Sunday. Will we see uh, some sort of uh, dramatic Howard Beale-style, Keith Olbermann-style rant? Uh, it's funny to sit and contemplate what might happen. Who will the final guest be? Will Bette Midler come sing to him like she did to Johnny Carson in his last week? <laughs> well, we'll have more about that on Monday on the old Newsbusters podcast, I imagine. In the meantime, if you want all the media bias updates, you come to Newsbusters once, twice, 25 times a day, or 24. Thanks for listening. <laughs>